Welcome back to the In The Dome Podcast. Alright, have you uh, wanted to kill yourself yet? I mean, this whole election thing uh, is uh, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty intense. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this is not a political podcast, we won't get into it, but my god, my god. It's times, it's times like these, I mean, you're happy to have sports, but we don't have sports because the world's in a good lockdown, so... There's no distractions. We're like face to deal with. I mean, if we have to sit at home and do nothing, can we at least watch sports? Is it right? Don't make us think about all these real world things. Is it too hard to ask? It's funny because I was starting to get into to the NFL a little bit, but since the election thing, like I can't even. I don't have time for NFL. I'm just like trying to follow this madness. It's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. Give me Brad Living needs to do something stupid so I can think about something else. Now it sounds like the latest we heard, they're still trying to shoot for uh, January first NHL start date. Was that the latest thing, or was there something else newer than that? No, that's that was the word because the NBA kind of came out with their. Um, they were anticipating maybe being in February, I think. But from what what it sounds like at the NHL, they're still trying to do Jan one. Um, I think there was an article in the Athletic today, um, talking about like obviously there's nothing guaranteed, but it was mostly looking at like, hey, they need to start making money at some point. So I think most people are wanting to get started sooner than later. So I think the only question now is how many games do they play? Right. Which like who knows? Like I I remember Bettman saying a while ago they were still hoping to do eighty two. I don't know. How how that's going to happen. Well, you got to think that a lot of the projections that these leagues made a month ago are not going to come to fruition because things have gotten worse in the last 30 days. So, I, I don't know. Like, I actually, I think the latest thing I did see was the league is now starting to look at potentially um, an altered schedule with more of a divisional uh, component. So, there's not as much travel. Yeah, Canadian division sounds like it's probably going to happen, which would be sweet. So, regardless, we're, we're going to see hockey in 2021 is my prediction. I don't see how you, you go through an entire year. They don't sort it out. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see something till February. Um, just because it does seem like things are amping up and oh, there's so much intensity going on. But um, and And, yeah, it probably seems like we're going to see a different version of what we're used to. Yeah, like, I mean, I think Bettman stated he he's still aiming for January 1, but he did leave the door open. Like, because if they, they were starting January 1, like, they have to be at camp soon, right? Yep. Like, it's, it's almost December. And I mean, I, like, I, like the, I haven't been following this too closely, but I don't know if, if people are talking about this, but, like, what are the players doing? I guess they're, they're just yeah, kind of exactly. training like they usually do in summer, just keeping in shape. I mean... What else are you going to do anyways? Like, like everything's in lockdown. It's not that like they can go out and party much, but. Exactly. Because like, think about like the timeline, Kate, like if January is October, then right now is like, you'd, again, you'd be heading to camp like in, a, in, you'd probably be reporting in like a couple of weeks, probably even sooner because they usually report end of August, beginning of September. Yeah. Right. So it's like, I mean, <laughs> they got to report soon if it's going to happen. So you think we would have heard something about that by yeah. now? So I'm, um, because like, what about the guys who are like in Sweden where there's like no lockdown, like, 
I there's I don't know there's just so many moving parts that you'd think we would have heard of it you'd think we would have heard the plans by now if January 1 was a realistic yeah. start date and then you also have to factor in like probably it's going to be mandated they're going to do quarantine and stuff all the people qu- coming over from Europe right so that, oh, that puts totally. you back in like, there at two least weeks. two yeah. weeks probably right so like even if you like if you want to start January 1st and guys were reporting on December 1st that means they'd have to be coming over right now and like starting their quarantine like next week. I haven't heard anything, so I don't know. January one seems like pretty unlikely to me. So I just have a lo- the latest article up here, and basically Daily is saying that what it sounds like they're looking at right now is um, starting with an alternate model, an alternate alternate schedule and model, and then hopefully transitioning to something that we're more accustomed to as, as long as it it's permitted but it sounds like he's saying they're considering um all teams hosting games in their home arenas and then there's another model that requires them to play in hub cities so they're looking at both those options yeah we'll see like i'm i'm curious to see what the player uh reaction would be if there was going to be like another bubble another hub city yeah, type we- thing like if it's forced into a hub city thing, like you, there's no way they're just gonna be doing like the two. There'll probably be like at least one per division or something like that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, obviously the NBA and the NHL did the bubbles, and then the NFL and the MLB just due to the sheer size of the organizations, it wasn't possible. Yeah. But they they didn't, and both worked. Although it seems like when you're in the bubble that seemed to be a lot less people testing positive than there is in these, in these other leagues, even though it didn't really deter the other leagues um, from com- completing their season. So although the NFL is not done yet, but it doesn't seem to be uh, much of an issue. Even if players get tested positive, they have their own protocols. I don't know. Did you see um, Aaron Rodgers the other day? He had an interview and they got like plexiglass in their dressing rooms, you can't even talk to the person next to you. Um, it's, he says it's it's a, he seems like it sounds like he seems, thinks it's a little bit ridiculous, but um, yeah, it's just well, I I, gu- I guarantee the flames are probably happy to hear this because Francis won't be allowed in the room, eh? They'll be like, oh, thank yeah, god, no, shit. no Francis, or at least if he is, I get plexiglass between me and his. So I guess face. it just depending on how you slice it, if you're in the bubble then you probably, they don't have to take it like to that extreme uh, compared to if there is no bubble, then they're like taking the extra added layers of protection. So it'd be interesting to see what people would prefer. Obviously the playoffs is one thing. It's a short-term bubble, but I, there's no way it's going to work for any, like a, a longer season. Oh no. Yeah. Well, and again, the, the, like the strict bubble, where guys, their families can't come. They have to all be in one place. Like, there's no way. I don't think there's any way any of the players on the return to play committee are going to be down with that. Like, because I think there was there was there was enough outcry. There was guys leaving the bubble all the time because of family stuff. So if there is going to be a bubble situation, I'm sure it'll be like what you said, like hub cities, several hub cities, um, and then some teams like I don't know, a group of teams that are close together. Then like that will be the bubble. But there's no way there's going to be like two city bubbles yeah. again. That would be insane. So, you know, they're at a the NHL is at a place right now, which I think probably the NBA is too. They don't know what they're doing yet. Um, and just looking yeah. at 
all the different options and just seeing how this plays out like on a week to be week to week basis. I mean, what more can you do really? Yeah, nothing. All right. Any news you want to cover before we get into it? There has it's been pretty quiet. It's been all jerseys, no nothing else. All That's right. all it's been. We've just been distracted by jerseys this this whole last two Let's weeks. Do a pretty quick much initial. Try and make it quick. Initial thoughts on the on the jerseys. They haven't released yet. It's Friday, November thirteenth. They release Monday the sixteenth, and we're gonna plan on doing a a ranking right off like right away. Hopefully that night. So we'll we'll save the majority of analysis based on when the release actually happens. But what have you seen so far with the teasers that uh, gets you excited? Well, they all look pretty sweet, like lead league wide. Like when I heard that reverse retro idea, I was like, "Well, and the first release they had with with the backs of the jerseys with just the two colors." Now yeah. we're seeing that that wasn't even that accurate, right? That was a that was, yeah that threw a lot of people off. Like I I kind of picked up picked up on that after the fact because I was like, "What are they all going to have the same color and striping patterns? That's weird yeah. and dumb." But it was just like the Adidas, the initial teaser was just kind of like, here's what the colors are going to be, not necessarily here's what the striping patterns are going to be. So now that I've seen some of the jerseys, some of them look awesome. I'm like, pretty much all of them look awesome from what I've seen. And on a a side note, can we just say like kudos to the NHL for putting together a program like this? Because what have we been saying? Basically, you got the NBA, they got like what, five different different jerseys. They have their little stadium series or whatever it is. Um, this is awesome. I think fans across the board are going to fucking love this. Oh, totally. Like, I haven't seen anybody being negative about the insane. Like, and some of them are saying, like, have you seen the Ducks? The Ducks are bringing back Wild Wing. Like, well, that's, that's insane. They've got, like, that cartoon font. Yeah. That's nuts. Has that been official? I know that, that uh, you know. I think it's rumored. Just based on the font on the on well, the name bar, people are assuming And the patch on the Wing. shoulder is the... The Mighty Duck mask yeah. or the the original goalie mask with the two hockey sticks crossed through. So there's no way that's going to be on the on the crest. Yeah, I mean I haven't seen one like there's a few that stick out to me that are just like wow those are gonna be sweet. The Coyotes one like the purple yeah, I like that, and the sand that's sweet. The Carolina obviously with the Hartford colors. Um, I like the Kings with the the purple and gold. The Kings, the purple, yeah. Um, the other one that just looks really dope is the. Um, it sounds like the Avalanche are going to do like Nordiques colors. That's kind of sweet. Um, and I mean, the Flames one is looking really good. Yeah, I mean, I was worried they were going to mess it up, and it's it looking looks good. great. Obviously, it's a bla- It's going to be blasty. Milan Lucic confirmed. You confirmed. Um, I just hope that they do a little bit of an upgrade, which it sounds like they're going to do on the logo itself. Um, not necessarily because I have anything really against the old logo, but it, you know, it was, it was made in 98. So let's upgrade it a bit. Let's make it a little more modern looking. And it sounds like that's the plan. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping to be like, cause I think everybody's just expecting it to be beat for beat exactly what the other Jersey was. Um, I'm kind of hoping, yeah. again, hoping, crossing my fingers. I don't know if I can, I haven't quite been won over by the Flames marketing team just because they have disappointed me in the past so much. I'm hoping to be like, um, pleasantly, like not surprised. I'm hoping there's an element that I don't see coming that yeah. looks cool. You know what I mean? Like and you said. And I don't really like the striping, how it 
kind of V's down, if you know what I mean, with the old Blasty style. Yeah, like with the like V on the bottom. We just finally got our horizontal piping. Can we just keep horizontal piping? I don't want it going in any other direction for now. I kind of have a feeling we might see some oh, V God. piping. You're right, man. They're going to... They, uh. It, it kind of, yeah, I kind of think that's what it's going to be. But, uh, like, if I had to guess, it'll just be, because that's what's interesting is, like, okay, what is the reverse element? Because we've seen the, the C's on the shoulder are white, which look dope. Even though I've never been a fan of a white C, they look good yeah. against black. So I'm assuming the coloring will be different on the actual logo, but I'm hoping there's, again, I'm hoping there's another element that I don't see coming. Whoa, Sorry, what was that? As Trance. I am, as we are discussing, I'm looking <laughs> at some of these jerseys. Oh, that's the Adidas yeah. song. I knew that sounded. I knew that sounded. Sorry, uh, sorry, familiar. sorry, sorry. I just had to get our. our yeah, I'm uh, ho- what would you call it? each ep- our, Seinfeld yeah, reference? Our, our, our quota, quota. For each episode, we try and get at least one Seinfeld reference in there. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, you know what? When this comes out, like I said, kudos to the NHL for doing this. This this is going to be just tantalizing to look at all these different. I can't wait till Monday. And just look at every single jersey. They all look amazing. Yeah, I mean, they all look so good. And, I mean, the only question now is who do you get on your Blasty jersey? Because it's going to be... That thing is going to sell so fast. Like, it, they're just printing money if it is Blasty. Like, watch them pull a fast one. My Like, watch, the, watch, watch it be literally handwritten, the word Blasty in handwriting. No, God. There's no... <laughs> Yeah, I love, I know where you're going with this, but there's no way they're going to fuck it up that hard. No, I know. I think they're going to, again, I, I'm trepidatious about any of their jersey designs just because it's the Flames marketing team, you know? So, um, but. It's just, it's funny how this retro thing is just so popular. It's just so sexy. Well, that's what's so weird. It's like, that's what makes me feel old. It's like the things that were around when I was a kid are now retro. Like, Jesus. You know what it reminds me of? I don't know if if you remember this or not, but. As a kid at the Dome, the old fountain drinks uh, used to be, I think it was maybe just the really large ones, used to be um, in different NHL teams. I remember I had the whole collection as a kid. There was like, back when there was Hartford, remember the Hartford, the old North uh, Minnesota North, North Stars. So I don't know how far back we're going here, but um, it reminds me of that. Just like seeing these old retros all coming together at the exact same time. It's freaking awesome. North Stars. That's the one other jersey I wanted to mention. The Minnesota yes. Wild doing the North Stars colors. Hells yes. I just can't wait to see it all. I'm just, I can't wait. Yeah, and I can't wait to see Flames fans' heads blow up. And the Flames will make so much money off these Blasty jerseys. Okay, so today we're coming on to discuss... Um, what needs to go right for the Flames this season, whatever the hell this season is going to look like, and what what needs to go right for them to have success and have a, a bounce-back season? So I got a list of, what did I make, eight points eight here? Eight points, your eight-point we'll, list. We'll go through it one by one. You can interject, um, and whatever notes you have down, weave them in there, but... I think a fair place to start if you're looking at the keys to success for this season, and I hope to God that we get at least, what, 45 games? Ideally, 65? I mean, I don't know, I don't know what yeah, we're looking at. Yeah, I think you'd hope, hope for 60-plus. This would be my hope. Yeah. 
Okay, number one. The most important thing that needs to happen for the Flames to have a bounce back season is top line, and get this, not performance, top line deployment. Yep. Let me illiterate, or uh, let me. <laughs> let you illiterate? <laughs> let you me... are illiterate. <laughs> let me expand. Um, I don't. I'm going to go out and say it right now. The top lines decrease in performance last season was not due to the top line, it was due to the changing coaching system. And so this next season, if we want them to be successful, these guys are just as good as they've always been. You tell me Goudreau's not as good as he was when he had 100 points? He's still the same He's still the same player. Sean Monaghan can still score just as many goals. I'm, I'm confident in that. Elias Lindholm, he's probably better than he was. It's going to come down to we need to see these guys play in a system, even if it's just that one line. If they want to have the rest of the team dump and chase all season long, this line can't do that. This line cannot be a dump and chase line and see success. We need to see a little bit of what we saw at the end of the Dallas series when somebody noticed what was going on wrong and they made that bit of adjustment. They let that line carry the puck in and generate some chances off the rush. But... It's going to come down to top-line deployment and how Ward, what type of leash he gives these guys in terms of can they break out of their, their own end and create chances off the rush again. I'm going to say that the number one, because how that top, how Johnny goes, the team goes, how the top line goes, the team goes, and how that line goes, I think is going to be dependent on the structure that the coach has him play in. 100% accurate. And I mean, I'll even take that step further and just say, I think the deployment of Gaudreau and Monaghan specifically, do what you want with Lindholm, move him around. But I mean, the deployment of the actual forward group itself. Because, again, if you're going to be playing this type of dump and chase game, sure, that works with literally every other line. But you cannot be doing it with this line. We've said it a million times. Like, I mean, to me, there there is no, there is no explanation for this line's dominance and complete falloff. This season, other than that, all three of them had off years. I think Monaghan had this particularly terrible year. Gaudreau and Lindholm weren't nearly as effective. And it's like, you can't tell me that switch in the system changed things. You can look at all the micro stats to Gaudreau dump the puck in way more often than he has in the past. He wasn't entering the zone with control. And they weren't penetrating the middle of the ice. Like, they weren't funneling anything towards the ice. Why not? Because the, the, the way, when is Johnny Gaudreau the best? You've said this a million times. When he's yep. getting to the middle of the ice. When he's he's the most dangerous when he's going to the middle of the ice and daring other guys to challenge him for that space. Because, again, for all the talk about how small he is, he uses that to adv- his advantage. He's slippery. When he's coming in at you off the rush and he's darting towards the middle of the ice, what is the defender going to do? Stand still and get beat wide by him and have him make a great cross-ice pass to Elias Lindholm or Sean Monaghan? No, he's got to make an attack. And guess what? That opens something else up for a guy like Lindholm or Monaghan. That's why he's so dangerous off the rush is because he can attack the middle of the ice. He can beat you with his skating. He can beat you with his skill. But he has to be attacking with speed off the rush a lot of the time for me to be super effective. So, like... 
that's got that has to be a hallmark of how this team deploys Johnny Gaudreau. And it, I don't think it's enough to just give the the top line the green light in terms of carrying the puck in. It starts with the breakout. Yeah, the one exactly. thing that yeah. the one thing that Bill Peters nailed that first season was he said, "I want to break out with speed. When we get the puck, I want to transition quickly. I want the D to join the rush. I want to be coming in waves. And boy, did we come in waves! So it's not enough to just say, "Okay, guys, when we when when we have a, a D that's stationary." And you guys are stationary in the neutral zone and you get a pass, you can carry it in now. Yeah. Probably not, because there's going to be a D-man draped all over you as soon as you get the puck. So if that line is going to be a transition line again, then they need to change that breakout, even if it's just for that one line. But it does start at the breakout. Yeah, exactly. Because again, like all this talk, we we talk about them, oh, the forecheck and the rush, you think about that in terms of offensive, uh, like in the offensive zone. But again, it's engineered from your own blue line. You can't be much of a rush team if all you're doing is having a stationary D pass the puck and do a chip in zone entry every single time. Like that's not going to work. And I mean, how many times is, how many times did we see that fail this year? So yeah, it's it's great. It's in, it's engineered in the D zone. It's executed in the O zone. And like, I don't understand this analysis from a coaching perspective. If you want to say that you had issues with the way that you played um, in what was it, 2019? 1819, yep. 18-19 finishing first. If you had issues with how you finished first in the West, literally winning every game, if you had issues with that, do you rewrite the entire thing? Or do you just like keep keep some of the things that were working and then work on the things that weren't? I just don't understand how we all of a sudden are now not a transition team. We're just a fucking dump and chase team. Yeah, it's just like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It just makes no sense to me at all. So, like I said, like you said, whatever. If you have to have three lines dumping and chasing all night long, as long as we don't see the Monaghan line dumping and chasing at all, then I like their chances, but he's going to start with that breakout. Well, and two, I, a, a, kind of a sub point to this is, um, again, if you want to play this type of way, you're. I, th- I think I said this last time, you can't play this type of way with Monaghan, Gaudreau, and Lindholm all on the same line, I don't think. Exactly. So if you want to play that way, you that can't be the line you you keep throwing out there. So if they want to be a very effective team off the forecheck and break out like they were breaking out last year, you have to split that line up as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Okay, number two. And this is, keep in mind, if you want the Flames to go to the next level, right? Which is... Do we are we okay with just losing in the first round of the playoffs? Can we not win a fucking playoff round, please? Just one. Chucky's got to go to the next level. He's poised. He's ready. He's right where he needs to be in his development to get there. This team can't hold him back from doing that. So what I see in that is, I don't mind the second line how it looks right now with Backlund and, and Mangiapane. Like we said, that line, especially in the second half of the season. Even in the playoffs, was lights out. But you saw what happens if you take Chuck off that line; they're kind of useless. He's the he's the driver. If that line starts to plateau at all, I want to see this organization figure out a way to get Chucky to that next level. If these two line mates can't get him to that next level, and he can't do it by himself and just make that line go, I want to see some other line combinations so that he has the right players around him, <coughs> Johnny Goudreau, t- 
to get to the next level. And I don't want to see him taper off and plateau because he's poised. He's poised to go to like Jack El- Jack, Jack Eichel level level, dude. That's that's what I think. Yeah, I think, again, we kind of touched on this during the playoffs. So I think this was my big thing. It was like, I love all the stuff Matthew Kuchuk brings to the table, but I would love it even more if he was more of a threat offensively every single night. Um, and I mean, like, again, like, it, it kind of comes down to deployment, right? The way they use him. And again, if this is how you want to use him, you like that's all well and good. But when I look at the top six and I see a huge lack of scoring in the top six, and I see how that has been a problem for this team over the last two years, it's like, okay, you really only have two guys who are elite offensive players, and it's Kachuk and it's Gaudreau. And if you're really dead set on playing Matthew Chuck in all these hard minutes with all these defensive responsibilities, you better bring in another offensive threat. They haven't done that. So for me, you really have to start milking Matthew Chuck for a lot more offense. And I mean, the easiest, most obvious choice seems to be putting him on a line with Gaudreau. Like, would you, like, that That to me seems like always keeping Drysaddle and McDavid separate in Edmonton. It's not quite a perfect analogy because they're very different players, all four of them. But, like, when you put them well, together, you've seen what happens. It's not that different. Imagine if you had um, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on the same team, and they're both these superstars, and you're like, oh, well, you know, we got to keep them, we got to, you know, you know, work our depth throughout the lineup, and you actually had never tried them ever. Because that's basically the situation you're looking at with Johnny Gaudreau has really never played with Matthew Kachuk outside of yeah. power play time and the odd like shift one off. He's never spent a legitimate amount of time. Uh, they never spent a legitimate amount of time playing together. Yeah, exactly. And it's like a cheat code, right? It's like that's what the Oilers do when it's like, man, exactly. we, we're going through a rough patch. Okay, we'll reunite the two superstars, right? It's like. Maybe you don't do that all the time, but it's at least worth exploring when you really need a kick in the, like when you really need an offensive boost. Like you could have really used that, you know, in the playoffs last year. So, I mean, like you have that cheat code just kind of sitting there. Try it. Try it. And I think, especially since I think that's for me, like when you, similar to like with Kachuk's utilization, that's how Lind like Lindholm and Kachuk's utilization could be flipped and see benefit for, for both of them. Because Lindholm has shown he can be a very strong player in his own end, like Kachuk has shown. Lindholm could probably be better. And Kachuk probably has way more offensive upside and potential and skill than Elias Lindholm. Flip how those two guys are being used and you'll probably get the you'll probably milk them for both for more value out of both of them, as far as I'm concerned. You're going to get more offense from Kachuk, using him in a more offensive role. You're going to get just as much defensive impact and play driving from Elias Lindholm. Like, you're telling me a Mangiapane, Backlund, Lindholm line wouldn't, oh, be awesome. wouldn't be solid in their own zone? Of course they would be. And then you're telling me Matthew Kachuk's, the the offense he brings to the top line, wouldn't you wouldn't see dividends on that? I think you totally would. And we have seen Lindholm and Backlund together they have like this the Swedish chemistry. Like they play well together. Yeah. And I mean, again, like I, I just see flipping how those two are used as as a pretty obvious solution to some of the problems this team has faced. This br- brings us right into my third point. The top six the top six, the line combinations that you see in the top six on this Calgary Flames team should be in the top ten in the league. 
Yep. They have the personnel to do it, but so far they've lacked the creativity. Except for, I mean, well, I shouldn't say so far. In 18-19, they were. <laughs> they were. And that was Mangiapane was on the fourth line still. So you have the Mangiapane upgrade on for Leak. Yeah. But as far as production goes, I don't see like this. If this team is going to be successful next year, to the extent that we that we need to see, we need to see a win a playoff round. The top six line combo needs to be producing in in the top uh, top ten in the league among teams of their top six, top six players. Oh, totally. And again, like I think, like we said this last time, if the team's not going to get better in the top six from external means, you got to figure it out internally. And I mean, I think it even extends beyond the top six because what I found really interesting about what Tampa Bay did this did um, at the trade deadline was in acquiring a guy like Blake Coleman. They gave up a first round pick, and I was like, "Holy shit, you're giving up a first round pick for a third line guy!" I mean, you kind of saw this too back when the Penguins were in the heyday with uh, with the HBK line, like the Benino Haglin Kessel line. Having it's not even depth. Having like three lines that are dangerous, yeah, is something that like you can't overlook that because like look at the Flames' third line the last two years, and I mean we were bitching about this all summer as like they need to build a whole new line. I think they're finally in a position to actually have a solid forward group one through four now. Um, even though I still don't think they have the top, they didn't acquire the top six talents they maybe needed to. But if you look at like the year the year previous, like what that third line, Jankowski, Neal, and Bennett was brutal. This year it was okay. I mean, Derek Ryan, Milan Lucic, and Dylan Dubé. I mean, that's not super that's not that's definitely not a Blake Coleman line or a line with Phil Kessel and Nick Menino on it. So when you look at how they can get strategic, if you had two lines, like say a backland, Lindholm, uh, Magic Penny line and a third line of say like Derek Ryan, Josh Levo, and Dominic Simone that you know can hold their own in their own zone a little bit and produce some offense and do some play driving and then open up a lot for a good a potential Goudreau Monahan Chuck line. As long as you have that flexibility through your top nine to you know throw out different lines in different situations, that could be a huge advantage and create major matchup problems that this team because that's that's been one of the major problems with this team is like you match up your top two lines against the Gaudreau line and the Kachuk line, and then the bottom six in the Calgary Flames is so useless, you don't really have to do anything else. Right. So, like, start using your line combinations more strategically. And I think we did see Jeff Ward kind of try to do that. I think he I think he didn't really uh, execute very well. You know, he's got Johnny Gaudreau on the third line. It's like okay, maybe I kind of like what you're thinking here, but your execution's way off. It's like, start creating some matchup discrepancies throughout your lineup. Instead of bringing fourth-line guys up to the top line. Exactly. Which I don't see why. It's it's like the most... Why is that always the go-to with this organization? Brower, Chase on... I don't know. Like, maybe... (laughs) maybe Reader. Yeah, Reader. (laughs) List goes on and on. Like, it just... It always seems to be the case. I don't even know what your original point on that was, but I kind of kind of got lost in my own little rant. So to recap, the original point is that the, whatever the top six combo is that is going to be steadfast throughout this season upcoming, we have enough personnel right now 
that we should be in the top 10 in the league with top six production. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, look at the teams that were good this year. I mean, even look at the Dallas Stars, right? Like, were were their big guns the guys who got them to the Stanley Cup Finals? No, it was their, probably their second line. Der- Dennis Garyanov, Rupe Hintz, yep. guys like that who were excellent. It's not just good. It's not always just going to fall on Gaudreau and Monaghan. Your top six has to be excellent. Okay, shifting the defense. Number four, the fourth thing this team needs in order to keep moving forward, have a successful season that they can even build off of, the defense, um, the focus should be twofold. First, we need to see Rasmus Anderson's development go to the next level. The team needs to do whatever they need, whatever he needs, in order to get there. So, however you need to pair him, maybe he needs to play a season with Mark Giordano, but Rasmus Anderson, in the future of this team, this guy needs to go to that next level. Just like Chucky, uh, this isn't, I'm not harping on either one of these guys. Yeah. I'm saying that that they're so good that they have another gear to go to, and why not? So, that's the first focus for the defenseman, and the second one is similar to Rasmus Anderson, is the rising development of Val Mackey. I don't want to see him treated like Oliver Shillington was all season long, given no opportunity. I want to see Val Mackey given ample opportunity, even if he's making mistakes. I don't care. I want to see him putting in those positions. He needs to, he missed an entire season. Somehow, he needs to make up that time lost, and this guy needs to become a top four defenseman this season. Well, I, I don't even think it's like, for them to have success, for them to even be competitive, especially Rasmus Anderson, because that defense, you just lost TJ Brody and you didn't adequately replace him. It's not even a, it's not even like, are they going to be good this year? Rasmus Anderson needs to take a step. He needs to take a step for this team to even be competitive. He needs to be lights out because pretty much he is this team's de facto, like probably number two defenseman. And then if if Mark Giordano regresses even a little bit, you are relying heavily on this guy. He needs to be top-notch. He needs to go to the next level. He needs to go from being a guy who came in and solidified the second pairing to being a guy who is a, a bona fide number one pairing defenseman. I think he can do it, but he needs to. <laughs> yeah, because like, and that's my that's my point. Is this this organization needs to look at him as the number one defenseman? And whatever this number one defenseman needs to have a successful season, like they have to bend over backwards to give it to him. Yeah, totally. And maybe they do. Maybe they're that. Maybe that's why they were so flippant and letting TJ Brody go and not really replacing him because they believe so heavily in Anderson and Val Mackey. Um, the thing with Anderson is like his defensive game is is excellent, and I think this maybe kind of circles back to the system systems thing. But I mean, the offense from the defense that was a big that was a big part of the reason the flames weren't as much of an offensive threat this year the d wasn't activating enough they weren't that big of a threat in the middle of the ice in the ozone you saw mark giordano's point totals plummet so and and that is equated a hundred percent to the change in system yeah because how does d gonna join the rush when there is no rush well i think the other thing too like how many times jeff ward oh defense 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 right like I've been watching some games from last year and this year just in some spare time, and something you notice from the year previous is, like, the D was active in the O-zone a lot. Like, there was a lot of 
passes where oh like Geo's yeah. right in the slot. Dude, like we are getting two on ones, three on twos, three on ones, four on twos, like on a nightly basis. Like Gaudreau is wiggling around, like kind of on in the below the goal line, and nobody even sees Giordano like right in the slot. He's they they had the green light to kind of just like slide into the middle of the ice up the funnel like right in the middle of the right in the middle of the offensive zone even like i'm thinking of that valimaki where he pinches on the james neal goal remember when it's colorado yeah valimaki like, like that massive hit yeah no he doesn't waste one second dude, he's in there I still hit. get i know dude, come on that was two and a half years ago and i still get giddy man you hear me it's like that's what we need to see more from this defense um god that was amazing less backing off and, and not to say that they should be, like, pinching all the time, but, I mean, I, I would just... And I know it's hard because, like, you don't want to make so many mistakes and get bit on two-on-ones going down the other way, but, man, I would really like to see the DB, like, a little deeper in the zone when guys like Gaudreau have the puck because, like, that opens up so much more. And I think that's the one thing with Rasmus Anderson that I've kind of been waiting on because, again, his defensive impact has been great. The dude plays a hell of a defensive game you've seen him go head-to-head against guys like Connor mcdavid and man him like to understand when you want to understand how good ross anderson is watch him play one-on-one with mcdavid like come on yeah he's so smart <laughs> he shuts he shuts him down man it's amazing yeah so like i it's weird for like i'm not harping on him but i he needs to for like again his team didn't score nearly enough goals this year and largely because the defense wasn't as active in the play and active in the offense and a part of the offense. So that's the one part of the Rasmus Anderson's game I'm really curious to see if he's, again, like if he's allowed to let that grow, like if he's, if they play a system that suits that kind of style. Not that I'm saying he needs to abandon defense, but um, he hasn't quite figured out his offensive game yet. Even though I think he yeah. does have the smarts and the skills and like, everything you need for him to be a really solid two-way defenseman so to recap the the two most important defensive players that this team has on the roster the personnel this is this is how i think the organization and the the coaching staff needs to treat it the two top most important people on the defense are rasis anderson and yuso valimaki don't worry about geo geo's gonna do his thing yeah as long as you you center your focus on those two and make sure that they're getting everything they need to go to the next level, I think that's going to be a good thing. Yeah, totally. Like honestly, if you're asking me who I want to be a top pairing, number one pairing in opening night on January first, whenever I would love for it to be Val Mackey and Anderson. That'd be kind of cool, eh? Straight up, that'd be sweet. And then Geo and Tanev. And then Hannafin and whoever. Stone. <laughs> no, don't yeah. say his name. Yeah. No, don't even. Don't, uh, even. don't even joke around. It's like Beetlejuice, eh? Yeah. With with uh, <laughs> with Bradtree Living, eh? It's like Michael Stone, Michael Stone, Michael Stone. Brad oh Bradtree Living just jolting out of bed in the middle of the night as as we're recording this. <laughs> I need some Michael Stone. Oh my God. Speed dial. Okay, number five. Restore the faith, and the team's faith, the fan base's faith. In David Riddick. Now, look, you went out and you got Jacob Markstrom. He's obviously going to be a number one goalie. But Jacob Markstrom isn't going to play 100% of the games. Now, even with a shortened season, he's still not going to play 100% of the games. Now, you're always hearing this, this, 
whatever you want to call it, rhetoric about, oh, the guy is good in the room. Like, Tree Living spends a lot of time scouting players that are good guys to gel in the dressing room. It seems to be a priority. Now, the treatment that David Riddick got from getting overplayed, leading into playing worse because of it, then battling through an injury, then losing his spot, and then basically sitting on the bench for the rest of the season in the playoffs, then getting thrown in. <laughs> what a sad when, story, bro. In in the first or second round, however you want to look at it, when you're down, when you just had an epic collapse in your elimination game, when your other goalie has been your MVP, you throw David Riddick in, the guy has zero confidence left. It is a sad story, and that's why, for me, it is number five. If you want this team, like the amount of life and fun that this guy brings to the team, I think is pretty obvious to the fan base. That's why he's the fan favorite. So we need to see a resurgence of that attitude and energy from Dave Riddick, and the organization owes him one, dude. Do they not? Absolutely. Like, I mean, I've been kind of upset with the fact that he didn't even, that they favored Mike Smith. I guess he was injured, but... I mean, how do you not try to make it up to this guy after that? That You know what? Like, that was embarrassing. Like, I felt... I don't know if I've ever felt as bad for a player, like, just in terms of, like, an actual the circumstance of the game than I did for Dave Riddick in that game six against Dallas. Like, that was straight up... I don't know if Jeff Ward meant it to be a dick move. It was probably more of an incompetent move. But what a dick move to a, a guy like David Riddick to do that. Like, I've never felt Ooh. as bad for a player in my life. And especially given the circumstances, it'd be one thing if he wasn't, if he hadn't put, you know, if you just came off a regular, yeah, exactly, you know, ordinary season where he was probably been playing, and he's it's only been two weeks since he's you know played NHL hockey. It's been fucking like six months. Yeah, that was embarrassing. And I mean, so go for it. I feel like they need to right a wrong. And listen. Jacob Markstrom is good, but you the way the NHL works now is you need to have a good tandem. So if this team is going to be successful, David Riddick has to play good games, and he has to have wins when he plays backup. And I think in order for that to happen, we need to we need to see um, the the team give him commit to a a role that's going to be put him in a place where he's set up to succeed. Um, so I don't know what how you break the season down if it's shortened, but if, if it wasn't regular 82-game season, I want to see him get at least 30, 35 games um, where you you lay it out at the beginning of the season and you say, look, here's the, here's the breakdown we want. We're committing to both you guys. You're both a huge part of this team. And then stick to the fucking plan for once. Like how many times mm-hmm. have we heard it from this, this coaching staff, this organization where – um, you saw it with Mike Smith and David Riddick, and then uh, last year with Riddick and Talbot. It's like, can you just stick to the game plan of what the goalie like? Dude, this goes back like that. years, decades. So when Kippersoff, it was like, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna start Kippersoff seventy plus games, and it's like it's January and he's already played like fifty eight games. It's like they <laughs> they never stick to the goaltending plan. But I totally agree because like, hey, Jacob Markstrom got hurt in the playoffs. Yep. What happens if Jacob Barker, and again, like, 
I, I'm not even convinced he's like all that big of an upgrade on David Riddick, but that's a story for another day. But like, what if your number one goalie gets hurt in the playoffs and you have to go to David Riddick? Are you going to want to go to him if he's if he has zero confidence? I don't think that's going to work. I think you're going to be screwed. And again, you need these tandem guys. Like you even saw it in the playoffs this year. And if the playoffs this year were any indication of maybe what we're going to see um, in this playoffs, I'm sure there'll be some sort of expedited process where you're playing a lot of games. A lot of teams weren't just going with one goalie, even irregardless of injuries. A lot of teams were playing in like even in elimination games, they were going to their their one A or their one B guy. So your yep. your backup quote unquote backup goalie is an important part of your team in today's NHL. Like unless you're Carey Price, which Markstrom isn't. Well, I mean, even the Habs went out and got Jake Allen for Carey Price, right? Yep. So like you got to make sure that this guy is right. And it just sucks, man. That it was hard for me. I know it was hard for other people too. That you know he took he obviously took a downward spiral after the stick flip heard around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like again, how amazing was that stick flip? I don't even care. I would do, I would trade the shitty rest of the season for David Riddick for that game. Me too. Oh. If as long as it was the Oilers, Oilers, I would trade it. Oh, me too. And the other thing is too, but, like they the the Flames left him out to like again. That's what kind of really bugged me about how that whole thing went down with him kind of falling apart. Like he had so many hard starts last year. Yep. So like I again, he didn't play the best, but he did have a pretty tough workload compared to Cam Talbot. Like the games Talbot came in and the way the team played in front of Talbot, compared to how they left Riddick, they let Riddick uh, left them out to dry quite often. Like there's so many games this year where you can you can think of them off the top of your head, where it was like David Riddick. The only reason the Flames won that game is because David Riddick stood on his head. And then also, like, after the stick flip, and then he, when he struggled, just the way a lot of the fan base f- threw under the bus, um, and then just the way it just kind of seemed like, oh, yeah, we'll go with Talbot now, and then obviously that kicked the nuts in the, in the final game, the elimination game. Well, I remember. Like, I, need, I, need to see, I need to see my boy, David Riddick. Yeah, and I mean, again, with you, speci- guys- with us specifically, this goes back even to the San Jose poll from last year, remember? Yeah. When Bill Peters inexplicably yanked him that was with the mike smith tandem yeah remember the two they were playing san jose in i don't know just february it, it was in yeah it was in calgary i was at the game yeah and san jose scored two quick goals and you and you pull them after two goals and it was pretty much all downhill for david riddick after that and and obviously you know what happened when mike smith went in he let in two weak goals right off the bat this is like It'd be one thing if Mike Smith didn't suck. Yeah. But, like, talk about a slap in the face. Yeah. You get pulled, the shortest leash of, leash of all time, early in a game, and then the, the backup comes in with the, I don't know, what, what do you call Mike Smith at that point? And then he stinks up the joint. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with you with, like, I again, we're kind of getting lost in this, like, Markstrom's the savior type thing. Again, you're going to need Dave Riddick. Because again, like Numbers. even I'm sorry, just like injuries. Like, look what happened to the Avalanche. The Avalanche yeah. were like the Stanley Cup favorite, and they got wrecked by goaltending injuries. And I don't think it was the main reason they lost. But I mean, you need to have your backup goalie right. Like he can't just be like you know like you you can't underestimate how important a guy like David Riddick could be. I bet you Tuka's hoping that. Uh... 
There's no fans to start the season. To grasp, eh? yeah. Yeah. Speaking of goalies in the playoffs and, you know, drama, right? Him leaving the bubble in a fan base like Boston. Where they're psycho. Uh, they're psycho. They were, I don't think. I think they were pretty, a lot of people were critical, like really vocally <laughs> horrible about it. Yeah, I think a lot of the Boston fans were. Yeah. Anyways, side note. Okay, number six. Again, if you want to have a successful season, like we need to see these things happen. Number six, Jeff Ward needs to prove us all wrong. He needs to rise up and become a legit, bona fide NHL head coach. If he can do that, if by the end of next season we can all be like, you know what, this guy's a head coach, that means we had a fucking great season. <laughs> what a mere, now, what a story that would be. Now, I know this is falling into the realm of, you know, when you and I talk about things, you're like, well, that seems to be a pretty big list of all the things that need to go right in order to have a good season. But I don't know. For me, this is the one that keeps weighing me down the most. It's like I just don't understand the decision to keep Jeff Ward on as as his head coach. Um, So for sure, for me, it's in my list of things that need to happen because if he is going to be as questionable for the fan base as he was last season, then that just means the team isn't very good. No, I totally agree. And again, like we kind of get a lot of shit for harping on certain things. Glenn or Glenn Godson, uh, Jeff Ward being one of them. Cause everyone's like, Oh, what's the difference? It's like, it's a huge difference. Like I, I really do think like it would be a goddamn shame for this group of players and this iteration of the Calgary flames for guys like Gaudreau, Giordano, Monaghan, go down the list, to go through like their whole prime careers without a legit NHL coach at the helm, you know, like what a travesty that would be. And it's just like that that's the X factor in all this. And it's just it feels to me like he's gonna hold them back more than he's gonna push them forward in the same way Glenn Gulletson did. Totally. So like so I, that, I do think it's a big like it's an absolute ex it's an absolute factor like it's it, yeah. you can't under you can't underline the importance of it enough. That's why it's obviously on my list. I feel like the second part of this is like, in order for him to get to that status, he needs to really dial in, and if he needs to pull out outside hell for this, then do it. But he's got to utilize deploy tactics. And systems, the X's and O's part of it. Look, we get it. He's a good guy. The players like him. He likes to have fun. He likes the players to have fun. But there's nothing as fun as winning. So if he, I think that's the big key to this. Is he's got to get both aspects of it down. He's got to be likable. But he's also got to figure out and implement a system for the team as a whole. I don't care if, like we alluded to earlier, some lines have different breakouts and different um, offensive tactics. But he's got to figure that out. That's got to be like his his chess game he's playing all year. He's like, I got to figure out how to maximize. Like he just said, maximize what I can get from my players. And if he can't maximize what he can get from Johnny Goudreau, Sean Monahan, that top line, I don't see us having a successful season. Yeah, and I mean, secondary to that, they've got to bring somebody else in for the on the coaching staff who can... Well, I, I would say specifically be able to fix the power play because I thought that was a weak spot this year. But you need to have another guy in there. Like, I, I don't think Ray Edwards... I never think Ray Edwards was supposed to be a long-term solution there. Um, he's more of like a player development guy. But I'm 
I don't know, you got to think because they only have what Jelena and Ryan Husker right now. There's not really anybody dedicated to running the power play as far as I know just yeah. yet. So like, I mean, you've got, you've got, how, you've got to bring come, in some support. How come you look around the league and all these assistant coaches, like you got these badass guys like Mark Crawford and whatnot, but we always hire them as head coaches when we're like yeah. reviving them from the dead. Yeah, When they've been through the ringer for 28 years. And they're like, you know, it's, it's a, the game is surpassed, the, the style of game has surpassed them by a couple of generations. Those are the guys you want as the, you know, your assistant working on power plays. The fundamentals, man, they don't ever change. Exactly, 100%. When's a Ginla going to come into this organization? Get him in here. Eisenman, Sackick, oh, Ginla, let's go. Oh, shit. Get him in here. Manage, imagine Connie and Iggy, a tandem. Oh, it'd be that'd great. Be sick. So that's perfect. Leads me into number seven. The power play. I don't think there's any excuse why your power play with the roster we have, the personnel we have, with the skill you have, with, and you have an option of two power play units where you could load up both units with high-end skill. It can't be middling. Like you said, when you have got Johnny, like I think probably one of the, the best puck distributor in the NHL in the offensive zone in Johnny Gaudreau, and a guy who can shoot like Sean Monaghan, and a guy as creative as Matthew Kachuk, your power play needs to be deadly. And I mean, that unit still scored a lot of goals, and we did see power play two finally start to turn around when, oh, gee, they put Dubé and Mangiapane on there instead of, right? you know, Fuck. all these plugs. It's like... Fucking reader and God, <laughs> right? man. Yeah, well, if what was, was Daryl Sutter's old saying? He always said... In the aggregate, in special teams, you have to be in the top 10. You have to have a top 10 yep. penalty kill, and you have to have a top 10 power play. And I and think that's still that, true. And the fact they finished top 12 last season, and it wasn't even, there's a lot to complain about, um, then they got to be top 10. And it's interesting when you, when you mentioned under Jeff Ward, there's some to be said when you're getting in a groove. I mean, you look at guys like Sean Monahan, so streaky, right? Sean Monahan, he either seems to be red hot or ice cold, right? But those hot streaks he goes on are when he, you know, that's how he makes a living. So there's probably something to, to be said when you're having, you're generating more success on the score sheets, you know, throughout your regular season, your power play is probably going to be clicking even better because you're feeling it more, right? If you take the opposite, if you're struggling and you're slumping, power play time is probably not going to help you more. It's just going to add to your slump. But if you look at this top line, coming back to that first point, um, this this top line feeds on momentum. They all do, especially Monaghan. Goudreau's pretty streaky. If he turns it on, he can, he can like. Did he tie you know the NHL record for that specific season with like eighteen games? He had a point streak or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, that wouldn't be surprising. Like these guys, when they get going, they get going. So that's one of these points bringing it back to that top point of like Jeff Ward. You got to figure out how to get these guys on a nightly basis to get in a groove. And dumping and chasing is doing the opposite. the The more that these guys struggle and it's harder for them to score goals it just becomes harder to do everything else so when they're gonna in that groove then everything starts to click right they gotta find that sweet spot yeah all right number eight last point this you and i we're never gonna let this die until it happens (laughs) we need 
another addition to the top six. Even if it's an addition to the top nine, we st- I think we still need one more guy to push us to that next level. And he, I know we're strapped for cap now. So if I'm Brad Tree Living, and I know he's not going to do this because he would have done it already if he was me, but figure out who's who this season. Maybe that's what this, yeah. you know, your focus is the GM. Who's going to go where? Who's going to slot where? Who's a legit top six player? Who's not? Who's who's where on my team? Where does Sam Bennett fit in? Because right now you don't have enough cap to bring in somebody else without removing anybody. So if you can figure out, all right, this is working. It's time to make a decision. This is one of the things that Brad Living seems to not be able to do is let go of things until it's like you let go of Jankowski and Brody and Hamannick and um, Gustafson and Forbrook. It's like, Yo, you could have recouped. You could recoup quite a bit, even for two of those players. So I don't understand what this tendency to hang on, hang on to like to a heavy roster until it's too late. But the point is, maybe now you figure out who's who. Because like, do we need all these players? Yeah. Like, what we really truly need is a top, another top six play driving player. Yeah, totally. Especially like even with these one year deals with guys like Josh Lebo and Dominic Simone and stuff. And I mean, I guess the expansion draft is lingering, so that's a question too. But like, enough with this. Like, there, there's enough guys on this team who it's like, hey, we'll maybe wait and see. I think Sam Bennett's a great example. It's like this is the year you've got to. And again, like I always come back to this is like knowing what you want and going out and getting it. Like that's pro- kind of been my problem with Brad Living's vision. It's been too much sitting on your hands. Like, like now's the time for some of these guys like i think even like a guy like noah hannafin identify who your key guys are and if they're not performing where they need to be at like the trade deadline you've got to make the team better by and you've got to make you can make the team better by moving them then do it yep because time is of the essence the window is starting to close now like it probably should have been it probably should have been done this off season or like this trade deadline (laughs) But with all the weird should, shit, I guess. You know what it probably should have been? He probably should have figured out a way to get um, Ryan Stone. Mark, Mike, Mark. Oh, Jesus, Mark Stone. Yeah, I, Mark Stone. <laughs> I, I can never yeah. get this, Steve. You should have got a way to get Mark Stone. The, the, I know the, biggest pro- I know the asking price yeah. was Valimaki, but you had to figure out another way to get it done. The biggest problem, the biggest mistake still was the James Neal deal. That was the year that yes. you you could have done something legitimate, and you put your all your ba- your eggs in James Neal's basket, and that's kind of fucked you up for the next two years. But I mean, yeah, like I totally agree. It's like enough of this believe in this group stuff. Okay, that's well and fine if you know, like, but you can't keep doing this. And it's funny how much of the blame James Neal gets and not Brad Tree Living. Right? Like that's what's so funny to me is like. Oh, James Neal, what a bum. You're such a bum in the room. Well, then why did he... Why did you give him that contract then? Right? Like, yes. Brad gave him that money. James Neal didn't just, like, show up and say, Hey, give me money. Brad went out and headhunted him and paid top dollar for him. The, um... What is it? The Athletic that does the GM rankings? Yeah. So that came out. I know that you posted that. Um, he got a higher... I guess what did he rank? Nineteenth. Well, you know what? I remember we did we did a whole episode on this last year, 
We should do a one where we compare and see what's gone up, what's gone down. But the Flames, if you missed it, The Athletic did a poll, a fan survey that you could write in, and it just gauged confidence in each team's front office. And the Flames ranked 19th out of 31 on, on a variety. It was like vision, roster building, cap management, drafting, developing, yeah. and uh, shit, there's one more I don't remember. Yeah, because we did do a podcast on our own rankings on that. Yeah. Um, last season and we should do that again it'd be interesting to see how much we've changed um probably he would have a lower rank yeah but again like that i I think that's a really good point that you made like again if a guy like josh levo has a really good year and you can get something legitimate for him at the trade deadline like this is going to be one of the most interesting trade deadlines because you have the expansion draft coming up you have a guy like Sam Bennett, Oliver Shillington. Who knows what the third game you got to sign Shillington. But Josh Levo, Dominic Simone, just a few guys who... And I mean, even the big boys. If Sean Monaghan comes out and like has another bad year, what do you do? Like, He's got to make some hard decisions. Like, he's put off his hard decisions long enough. Right? Yeah, and that, that does to me seem to be a problem for him. Yeah. Is he he hangs on too long? It's kind of like, um, you know, the old adage of buy low, sell high. Exactly. He he sells. He doesn't even sell. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't sell. He buys extremely high on guys like Hamannick, pays an absolute premium, <laughs> and then holds on to him way too long and loses him for nothing. It's like, come on, man! You and I called that leading the trade deadline. It's yeah. like, why don't you just get rid of Hamannick now? You know you're not going to re-sign him. What you 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 tell me? Well, you could have got something great for Brody at the de- you could have got a first round pick for TJ Brody at the trade deadline, no problem. Easy. Anyways, but it's like it's hard decision time for Brad. What do you do if Geo falls off a cliff? What do you do if Michael Backlund has a really bad year and the expansion draft is looming? Do you expose him? There's some seriously. He's he's you know what with the expansion draft, I think he's probably going to be forced into making some hard decisions. Yeah, I agree. Um, the 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 way that this thing has developed, it's like he has literally zero room for error left. He's already made too many errors. Yeah, no, that, totally. That even if he even if he has zero errors, we're probably still not gonna. Well, be a it's kind of this analogy I make. It's like when you're when you're writing a t- writing an exam. And it's like you start off and it's like the first little bit is good and then all of a sudden you're like you run into a hard part and you're like screwing up and your test is like covered in eraser marks and it's like a total mess. And then you look you're up like looking at the clock. Yeah, and then it's like, oh shit, I got like ten minutes to forty questions. What am I gonna do? It's like we're kind of at that critical moment right now. Yeah, either you find that state of the Zen and you pull it off yeah. or you fail. <laughs>